3: Yeah. What's the matter? Not nothing. I'm okay. You look pale. Wow. And
1: your pupils are huge. Uh, have you have you soiled yourself?
3: Um. Uh, we'll talk about it later. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt, Dr. Mike's medical podcast. Unfortunately, Matt is back, and you have to listen to him talk his regular <laughs> crap. But he's back, Matt. Welcome back from India. How was it? Awesome. Tell everyone what you did. Not like we care, but just tell us what you did. Um, Why well, were you over there?
1: Well, we were doing a, um, a dissection anatomy course in... Um, Valor, which is about an hour out of Chennai, mm. um, in South India. And so we worked with a uh, medical college there and in the anatomy department and just kind of did, worked with um, some medical students um, from Sydney, uh, a group of four. Um, and we just did um, regions of the body, moved through regions of the body and just d- dissected and looked at some deep anatomy. Anything cool? A lot of things were cool. It's hard to really tease out one single thing.
3: Yeah. And but he...
1: but uh, it was very worthwhile and I learned a lot. Cool. And you were was...
3: saying that you had to do... you say it wasn't a prerequisite for some of those students that had to do... They had to uh, dissect out the facial nerve of a head within 45 minutes.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, part of the postgraduate anatomy program, so if you wanted to be anatomy academic, I guess in a, a college in America uh, in India, should I say, um, they had to do a, a whole lot of things, exams, research topics, but also um, some practical examination, and that would be dissecting. And so one of the common um, things they had to perform is a full dissection of the facial nerve um, within 45 minutes. Easy. So, they're given a head <laughs> and then they're told. So, they're given a fights. human head.
3: Yep. And they so go, all right.
1: 45 minutes. On you your f-
3: marks, get set.
1: Dissect. Dissect. So, you've got five branches of the facial nerve. Yeah. Got
3: to so, you've got to go through skin, go through fat, go through fascia. A lot of fascia there. And then find the nerve embedded in the parotid yeah. salivary gland. Yeah. And then have to get it out without damaging
1: any yeah, of it. The branches. The branches. So, have of to be f- intact at the end of your 45 minutes. Um, Can so you do it in
3: 45 minutes, Matt?
1: I think it took two of us two days. <laughs> well, not, not two days, but like thereof. Yeah. So, But not fast, 45 minutes. Definitely not 45 minutes. Wow.
3: Right, well, look, welcome back. I suppose it's good to have you back. Grant was wonderful. Everyone loved Grant. Um, I did one by myself, which pff, I Everyone just... I adored. Loved. Well, the sound quality of that was quite low because uh, I didn't have... Matthew, the sound engineer, to, to help. So, All right, Matt, what are we talking about today?
1: Um, the autonomic nervous system.
3: Okay, autonomic nervous system. What's it mean? What's autonomic mean?
1: I would think automatic.
3: Okay, so this is a part of the nervous system that controls all our unconscious movements mm. uh, and it can be divided into two subdivisions.
1: Well, I think if you're going to be...
3: You want more detail?
1: I was going to say anal. Yeah. Um, That could also be innovated later. Well, actually, part of your response to me being back was... uh, Anyway. Part of the autonomic nervous system. (laughs) of a soiling of yourself. Yes. Which is primarily driven by sympathetic, but we can talk about that a bit later.
3: So, we've got nervous system, we've got central nervous system, brain-spinal cord, peripheral nervous system, cranial nerves, spinal nerves. Yep. Um, You've got motor divisions, which is for movement, sensory divisions, which is to pick up sensation from the external internal environment. Yes. And the autonomic nervous system is a division of the motor system.
1: Yes. So, did you say that in the nervous system we've got a somatic and a visceral? No, I didn't. So, somatic is usually like body. Yeah. So, yep. that would be like... Skin, muscles, you know, moving body, and then you've got your viscera, which is glands, organs, etc. That is um, the viscera of your body, so like your heart, your stomach, your intestines, um, certain smooth muscle. Um, That is the visceral aspect, and to actually cause an effect there, we need to have a motor response. So the autonomic nervous system is, I guess, essentially visceral motor. Would you agree with that?
3: I'd agree. It's basically there to help maintain homeostasis with the internal and external environment. Yeah. So it... When you've got the autonomic nervous system, think about things that need to be controlled so that you can survive without you being able to consciously control it. So, heart rate, digestion, gland secretion, uh, smooth muscle contraction, and you know, those types of activities controlled by the autonomic nervous system.
1: So, if you're, let's say, gone to the gym and you're doing a whole lot of um, exercises. Go on. You want to control your somatic movements, which is doing your bicep curls or bench press or whatever you do. Yeah. Deadlifts on a Swiss ball. Yeah. Um, however, you're going to, you're trying to focus on staying on the Swiss ball, and not falling off, right?
3: Conscious control. Do you agree? Uh, I would, I, I don't need to consciously do that. I've, I've, <laughs> I've ingrained it. that into my, yeah. <laughs>
1: anyway, but let's just say you do. You're controlling your legs, your arms and so forth as you're doing your contractions but you don't want to be dealing with what your heart's doing or what your blood or, vessels or are doing. Or defecating on the Swiss ball. Right. <laughs> so, that's your autonomic. That's yep. your visceral response. All so,
3: right. And that's broken into two parts. Sympathetic yep. and parasympathetic.
1: However...
2: Oh, here let, we
3: go. Let, Isn't pour, it good to have map back? Freaking hell.
1: I, wanted, I want to say something quickly here, which is usually forgotten. You have in the autonomic you're also your enteric system. True. Which is your, your system for your GIT, essentially. Um, so that is a part of your autonomic nervous system, but it's generally forgotten about. So I think it shouldn't be. It's pretty important. No, it's very important. So I think we should. But we're mention not going to talk about it. <laughs> it. Yeah. I think we should mention it. Yeah. That it essentially has as many neurons as your spinal cord. Mm. So there's a lot in there, second to your brain. So in terms of neuron content, it's got Dense. Uh, heaps. Yeah. But it's primarily just as driven. much
3: dopamine being released and, uh, serotonin, and serotonin being released yeah. down there too.
1: So, and that's where you have your gut-brain hypothesis and all that kind of thing going yeah. on, right? Um, so, there's a whole cluster of neurons which is all about governing your GIT. Okay, are you happy with that? Yeah, I think so. But it's it can control itself, so it doesn't need your central nervous system to dictate what it wants to do.
3: Hence, it being autonomic, part mm-hmm. of that autonomic division.
1: And it, it is stimulated by the sympathetic and parasympathetic, so it does yeah, control both. it. But it's or not it as influence nice, it. Let's say
3: it does influence, and it's but it's not as nicely like topographically divided like the sympathetic, parasympathetic. Or when we start talking about the neuroanatomy of the sympathetic, there's defined regions, defined areas. Same with the parasympathetic. But the enteric system is basically just a mixture of both of these nerves together. Ner- nervous about, systems together. All
1: about local, a local reflex in the GIT from yeah. esophagus through to anus. Yeah, and so it can do it all itself. And if you think about it, if you were to um, transplant an organ, um, you're just maintaining the enteric system, but you're severing everything else. Very that true. will still function. So that's kind of highlighting the importance. Yeah, that very it is true. This self-governing system.
3: All right. So let's.
1: Uh, so we're going to put that to the side. Yep. Enteric, but it's important that the listeners know that it does exist and it is part of the autonomic, and it's becoming a huge part of medicine. That with all you know your biota and so forth, mm. but and let's fecal put, transplants. Let's just put that to the side for today right. and talk about. We could say
3: let's shelve it. That's a that's uh, a term that okay, don't worry about it. All <laughs> right, so so let's 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 very briefly define sympathetic nervous system versus parasympathetic nervous system. So colloquially, just. Uh, when we deliver a lecture on, on these systems, we'll usually start off by saying sympathetic nervous system is the fight or flight system, parasympathetic nervous system is the rest and digest. Yep. And what that basically is saying is that you'll activate the sympathetic nervous system in times of fight or flight, basically stress. Yeah. And the reason why we activate in times of stress is to maintain homeostasis in these stressful environments. So, if you're being attacked and you need to run away, what does your body need to do to allow this to happen okay so when I saw Matt come into the office this morning and he saw that my pupils dilated he saw that my uh, skin became quite pale and I defecated well that's all part of the sympathetic nervous system my body's trying to uh, maintain homeostasis in this time of fear and we'll explain exactly why these things happen it makes a lot of sense once you start to describe it and for the parasympathetic rest and digest this, again, is trying to maintain homeostasis in times of resting and digesting. And basically, it's about energy conservation, right? Yes, that's right. So, you broadly agree with those statements?
1: Yeah, and the, and the terms itself, sympathetic to show sympathy. So, I guess, going back, you know, hundreds of years, they would have thought certain responses that showed um, sympathy to the environment, like increased heart rate and so forth. That's where the sympathetic nervous system got its name. Right, And parasympathetic is beside or outside the sympathetic nervous system. So, anatomically located, which we'll talk about, the parasympathetic nervous system is located anatomically outside or beside the sympathetic nervous system.
3: Okay. So, there's simple definitions of the sympathetic nervous system. Basically, you need to think of... if Okay, let's provide a scenario, a very brief scenario for each, just so people know exactly when they're going to be activated. So... Let's just say you're going for a walk in the bush or forest. It's quite dark and you start to hear a rustle in the bush and then all of a sudden a wolf jumps out from behind a bush.
1: Oh, I thought you were saying that I the guy
3: Matt, called Russell was in the bush. Oh, very funny. Let's just say Matt jumps out from behind the bush and everyone obviously craps themselves. So you see him and you get scared. You elicit fear. Now, what happens when you get scared? Like I said, your pupils dilate. So... If you look at somebody who's scared, their pupils will dilate. Why is this? Well, again, think about what needs to happen in in order for you to maintain homeostasis and stay safe in a stressful stressful situation. So if your pupils are dilating, mm. that means more light can get into your eyes. More light getting into your eyes means more information about your surroundings. Yep, That makes sense in a stressful situation. Next thing that happens is you become very pale. And the reason why is because your blood vessels for your peripheral supply shut off They close and they redirect or shunt that blood to parts of your body, such as your skeletal muscle, so you can use it to fight or run away.
1: Right. Also, what would be another reason for shunting the blood blood away from your skin?
3: In case maybe you get attacked and so to reduce bleeding. Yeah, very
1: good. Well done. Didn't think I was going to get that
3: one. No, I didn't. Oh, very smart. Um, (laughs) What else happens if you can feel your heart racing? So your heart increases its speed, but also its contractile force. Why, Matt?
1: Well, you need to pump more blood around the body. Uh, yeah. So you need to get it to all the muscles that you're, uh, running from. Yeah. Uh, using to be run from.
3: Your respiratory rate increases again to deliver more oxygen to those different yep. organs. So uh, your bronchioles open up. Bronchioles open up. What else happens? You start to sweat.
1: Sweating right, for a thermoregulation.
3: Yeah. Anything else?
1: Um, well, you, like you said, um, in terms of blood shunting. You would have, you call me Sorry. You'd, you'd have blood going away from your skin but you'd also want to pull from other areas that aren't so important
3: like your kidneys yes yeah, so which are important but not in this scenario
1: right so 20% of your blood flow generally will go to your kidneys so you want to take that away and just send it to the central volume
3: That's one liter yeah. so you're redirecting one liter a minute away from your kidneys to your skeletal muscle so that you can actually use it. Yep, for running which away. could be
1: a, a secondary problem down the track if you can't get a person out of this stressful response. This it's day. a good point, Maddie.
3: that both sympathetic and parasympathetic, they're short-term systems, right? Like minutes. You shouldn't be activating them longer than minutes. Minutes should be max, right? Okay. Because if you end up activating them for too long, you can get adverse effects. All right. Such as those of the kidneys and you can have acute kidney injury if you yep. reduce too much blood flow going to your kidneys. Right. Um, all right. So,
1: and so also you got the blood shunting away from your GIT. So you don't really want to be, you know, Michael's just eaten uh, full chicken, mm. and you don't really want to be bothering. God I didn't even show that, chew. that, that <laughs> chicken he's just eaten. You don't really want to be bothered d- doing that.
3: Then people might say, "Why did I defecate?" And that's a com- complex rebound effect.
1: So, uh, in the GIT, you have a combination of moving the contents through your GRT, which is muscle contraction, smooth muscle contraction, but also glandular release, so releasing all the digestive secretions to help break down your chicken. Okay? Yeah. But also you well, need... We're vegetarian,
3: by the way, Matthew. Oh.
1: Today. Tofu chicken.
3: Thank you. A whole tofu chicken <laughs> carved in the shape of a chicken.
1: But there's also um, sphincters. Yeah. And they um, need to be either constricted or... Restricted or opened, um, and that could be both bowel and bladder. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, the sympathetic nervous system uh, will contract, keep them closed. So that's usually a puzzle in, in terms of why would you defecate, defecate with a sympathetic response.
3: So do you know why that's the case? Let's talk about parasympathetic first, and then right. maybe it puts everyone
1: in a better. Is that frame everything? Of mind. So we spoke about blood yeah. vessels. We spoke at eye. We spoke about. Um, yeah. Skin.
3: That's basically... Well, they're basically the effects that people can understand because everyone's been through stages of fear. Also, and you want a bit of seen. energy, so
1: your liver will start pumping out glucose. Very
3: good point. Okay. Now, parasympathetic is sort of like the flip side to this system, right? So, that was the sympathetic elicited in times of fear, times of relaxation. So, let's just say you've just eaten a meal. You're sitting down. You put a bit of Barry Manilow on the record player. Put your legs up and you're about to relax. This is the parasympathetic nervous system. So what happens? Your pupils constrict the opposite. You salivate because this is resting and digesting. So it activates salivary glands to help you digest, activates digestive enzymes and again other secretions to help digestion occur. Uh, You reduce your respiratory rate. Right? and your bronchioles constrict. Your peripheral blood vessels dilate. The blood vessels to your GIT dilate, and you get more blood shunting to your periphery and to your GIT. All of these are part of the resting and digesting effect, and it's there to conserve energy and to store energy.
1: Yeah. Pretty easy? Yeah.
3: All right. Should we talk about where these... Because these are sort of ephemeral ideas. Like We know that this is the effect that they have, but this has to come from the central nervous system out right so should we talk about how it come how the sympathetic nervous system where it originates and goes to and the parasympathetic nervous system where it originates and goes to
1: are we so do you mean just the two neuron kind of
3: the two neuron pathway and the basic neuroanatomy for okay. both
1: so i think the first thing we need to highlight regardless of the system so whether it's sympathetic or parasympathetic they've always got a two neuron pathway
3: Okay. Originating where?
1: They're both originating uh, the first neuron, yeah. which we call the pre-ganglionic neuron. What's a ganglion mean? Okay. A ganglion is where you have a synapse or a cluster of cell bodies outside the central nervous system, which would be outside the spinal cord so or brain. So, that's why the
3: dorsal root ganglion yeah. has a name because it's right. just outside of the spinal cord. Yeah. If it was in, it would just be called a cell body.
1: Yeah, or a nuclei. So or a nuclear. Like, so, ah, a yes. misnomer would be, like, basal ganglia. Basal ganglia. ganglia. It's, it's in the... Gotcha. It's not, it's not really a ganglion. So, a that's why the textbooks
3: now call it basal nuclear. Right. Yeah. Cool. Okay.
1: So, uh, a ganglia, in definition, is a swelling. So, you might have ganglions in your, like, wrist, but they're not nerves. They're kind of like a synovial swelling, I think. Yeah. Okay. So, the, the term ganglion itself just means swelling. But, but that makes look, sense because
3: it it's a cluster of cell bodies, yeah. it looks like a swelling. That's right. Yeah.
1: And so, the classic one would be the dorsal root ganglion, which is all the cell bodies of the uh, sensory nervous system Yeah. that's coming in from your body, right? But when we talk about the autonomic nervous system, your ganglion, which is the cell bodies, but kind of at the synapse level, um, there are... The parasympathetic ganglions and the sympathetic ganglions. Okay. Okay.
3: But they're all outside the central nervous system.
1: Outside the brain Mm -hmm. and outside the spinal cord.
3: Okay. So, let me get this right. You said it's a two-neuron chain. The first neuron and the first neuron cell body is in the central nervous system. Yep. And then the second neuron cell body will be outside the central nervous system. Yep. And so that will be a ganglion. Yeah. Hence why the first neuron is called the preganglionic neuron. That's right. Because it doesn't have a ganglion. And the second one called the postganglionic neuron because it does have, it's attached to the ganglion, the cell body yep. outside of the spinal cord. Yep. And gotcha. If
1: you, and if you want to be really anal with it. yeah. Um, the preganglionic where its cluster of cell bodies would be, that would actually be called a nuclei
3: because it's in the central
1: nervous that's system. Right. Okay, cool. And that's gray matter.
3: All right. So should we Which one do you want to start with? But first of all, you're oh, the two are you happy chain. with
1: the two neuron? So we got a pre and a post? Yes. Okay, happy with that?
3: Happy with that. So th- so only, so you're saying it only takes for me to tell my heart to increase its contractility in a sympathetic activation, it only takes two neurons to do that.
1: Yeah, but yeah, that's t- true. In effect. <laughs> That's right, that's right.
3: Yeah, and for the for my GIT to be stimulated to release digestive um, enzymes in the parasympathetic activation, it only stimulates two neurons effectively. Yep. Okay.
1: If you want to be really basic, but yeah, there's a lot more going on. But yes. But we'll get to that. Yeah.
3: But it is in effect a two neuron chain. Correct. Pre-ganglionic, post-ganglionic. All right. Not talk about neurotransmitters yet.
1: Should we no, 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 talk I about think, the anatomy I th- I and then move on? I do the anatomy first. Okay. Go so, for it. So, it, since you started with the sympathetic nervous system, let's start with the anatomy of the sympathetic nervous system. Makes sense. So, the, the other name that they call the sympathetic nervous system is the thoracolumbar.
3: Thoracolumbar. Okay. Sounds like something to do with the back.
1: Yeah. So, the reason why it's called that is because it exits. So, the preganglion it exits at the thorac- thorax to the lumbar region. Okay. So, if we take the
3: spinal cord and break it up into cervical, thoracic, lumbar, sacral, coccygeal, yep. uh, you're saying that the very first neuron of the two-neuron chain for the sympathetic nervous system will only ever exit the spinal cord at the thoracic region and the lumbar region.
1: As best of my knowledge, yes. So, okay. T1 down to about L2 are the exit points for the pre-ganglionic sympathetic neurons.
3: All right. Okay. Yeah, happy with that? Yep. So, that's why it's called the thoracolumbar system, also known as the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. And so, they
1: come out. So, that's the first one. Right? they sit in the spinal cord. So, if you were to cut your spinal cord into cross sections, mm-hmm. okay. Now, we're not going to go through that in detail, but you have like white and gray regions and you have the centered region, which is the central region, which yeah. is kind of like this. Not the centered um, region because yeah, of its smell. It's um, a gray region that yeah. looks almost like a the letter H. Okay. Would you agree? Yeah, 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 Now, with that letter H, the ones that are located most to the front of the body or the ventral part of it, the ventral root. Yeah. Okay. Just in the medial section of that is where all the cluster of the preganglionic um, cell bodies sit. And okay. Then they'll come out of the ventral horn mm-hmm. and then they'll come out in the spinal nerve now from T1 to L2. Okay. okay, So they come out the preganglionic.
3: so now I've got some nerves coming out of the spinal cord. That's right. Yep.
1: Now these will then come in to the collective spinal nerve, so they're going to have other motor neurons with it and other sensory neurons with it.
3: So what are you okay. saying? You're saying that you've got all these exiting neurons coming out of the ventral horn.
1: Of the spinal cord, yeah, that would be other motor. So they're the mo- ones that are just go into your skeletal muscles. So there's going to be
3: a whole bunch of motor coming out, yeah. and we- then they all come together in a, in a plexus.
1: Well, there's no, no plexus a, for the thoracic, no, no, right? No, just, just a collection of the spinal nerve. Gotcha. Now, because this is happening in the T1 to L2, um, it and then you've got so many more collections of visceral or um, sympathetic nerves. Now, it's going to give an additional swelling in that grey matter, which is going to be the lateral horn, okay? So, when you look at that letter H, remember I said the letter H? So,
3: you're doing a a cross section, you're doing like a bird's eye view into the spinal cord, and you see a letter H of of grey matter, which is throughout the whole spinal cord. Is grey matter or white matter this H? It's grey matter, right? So, that means they're cell bodies. Without myelin. Yep, and so, with that letter H, right there where the cross part of the H is, you're going to have swelling either side.
1: Yeah, from T one to yep. L two. That's okay. because you've got all the sympathetic nerves, all the all the sympathetic preganglionic neurons sit in there. Okay. okay? And that extra uh, okay. area, yeah, gives you another horn, which they call the lateral horn. Okay. Okay.
3: So if you think of all, each, sorry to be a pain with this, but if you think of the letter H in the spinal cord, and you know the the ends of each of that H, you know top. Two at the top, two at the bottom. Yeah. they're the horns. Yep. And you got you're gonna at the thoracolumbar thura- thuraso- thoraco lumbar region. The medial aspect of that H is gonna have extra swellings. That's Because right. that's where the cell bodies are for the sympathetic nervous system. Exactly. The preganglionic. Preganglionic. All right. Well done. All got right. it.
1: So they're gonna come out. They're gonna meet the other motor ones, which is just going to your skeletal muscles at that region, mm-hmm. and come out. But then they go sympathetic only, kind of. Separate and go into this big, long chain, which is the ganglion. Okay. So, you've got so these
3: spinal can... nerves coming out and yep. they're all mixed. They're all, the it, motor's mixed. Uh, motor's mixed um, b- between uh, sympathetic and just somatic motor. Yep. And then from that mixed motor, the sympathetic will shoot off yep. and go into a, a, another chain, a, a chain yep. of ganglion. Ganglion. Okay, and it's right next to the spinal cord.
1: Yep, in most cases. Okay, um, what's it called? It's called the sympathetic chain,
3: or the ganglionic chain, right? Or the paravertebral.
1: You can call it that because para beside the vertebra. yep. Okay,
3: I'm just trying to think of what they're called in textbooks for for those students who are yeah. Paying so
1: attention. now this is primarily just sympathetic now. So it's now separated itself out of the spinal nerve, so it's come away from the the motor neurons, And the sympathetic, and sorry, the sensory neurons, and now jumped into this ganglion.
3: So there's a there is a chain, sort of looks like a chain of, you know, like a pearl necklace with like these variscosities, these sort of swellings going all the way down next to the spinal cord. How where's it start? Was it finished? Do you know?
1: Yeah. So there are approximately, let's say, twenty-two of these ganglion on each side of the vertebral column. Oh, okay. okay. They go as far up, even though it's called thoracolumbar, these ganglions actually go all the way up into your neck. So, yeah. they sit kind of behind your carotid ah. artery and they go all the way down to your coccyx. Ah. So, there's approximately between, say, 21, 25 on each side of your vertebra.
3: And this is where the sympathetic pre-ganglionic neuron exits the spinal cord and goes into this thing. That's right. What's it do once it's in there?
1: Okay. So, it could. Do do th- one of three things. Yeah. Okay. It can synapse in there right at the same level that it came out at. So, let's say it came out at T2. Okay. Thoracic l- level number two. Yeah. It can come out of the spinal cord into the spinal nerve, exit the spinal nerve and go into the ganglion. At T2 at level. At T2 level. Yeah. And it could synapse right there. Okay. So, it could stop there.
3: So, synapse just means it the first neuron finishes and talks to the second neuron. That's right. Okay.
1: So, that could be, and that's why it's swelling there, because it has that kind of cluster of bodies there. Okay. Or, it could decide that it wants to go either up or down, so it might want to go up towards the neck, or it might want to go down towards the lumbar. Okay. Ah, okay. And then synapse with a postganglionic, let's say, not at T2, but this time, let's say L1. L1. Ah. Or it might want to go up to the neck, like I said before, near the carotid.
3: So, it can either synapse at the level in which it came into this sympathetic trunk, yep. or it can come in and go straight up, as, still as one neuron, yep. or it can come in and go straight down, still as one neuron. Yep. Didn't you say there's a third option? And the
1: third option is then this is generally when you want a, like a, a huge amount of clustering of neurons together to go to like a collective organ like the heart or to your git or something like that so it comes out and kind of clusters in uh, into one further ganglion but instead of being on the side of the vertebra it's now in front of the vertebra right. and we call this the pre vertebral ganglions jeez and there's generally three of those which we call the celiac the super mesenteric um, and the inferior mesenteric.
3: Don't be so excited about it. So you're saying that three options. As soon as the sympathetic neuron comes out of spinal cord and jumps into the sympathetic chain, it can synapse immediately at the level in which it came in. Yep. It can tr- go up, it can go down, or it can go through the sympathetic chain and go to another ganglion, yep. which is closer to its effector organ. A little bit. A not, little bit. Not a great deal. And this is, this is a ganglion that sort of sits in front of this sympathetic chain. And there's three of them. Yep. And what do you say they are? Celiac. Celiac, which is where?
1: Uh, well, it probably comes out with the artery because um, it's going to supply that part of the gut. Okay. So you got a branch of the abdominal aorta, yep. which is called the celiac trunk. And that's primarily a blood vessel or an artery that's going to the foregut. So, it's no right, so just... gut,
3: What's yep. what's another... Of these uh, superior, superior mesenteric, metabolite. superior mesenteric. Which so also, that's also gut, right?
1: It's also gut, but more small small intestine. Okay, and what else? And then inferior, which is more large intestine.
3: Okay, so the only time that the neuron, the sympathetic preganglionic neuron, will take this third option is if it's going to innervate the gut.
1: Yeah, gut and the viscera down below the gut. So you know, bladder your, your and bladder and other your parts of bowel. sexual genitalia, okay, and kidneys. Okay,
3: cool. All right. Interesting. So okay. okay.
1: now, what, what? I know that sounds a bit complicated. It's probably better to view it in to a view textbook it <laughs> as we're talking.
3: Yes. Or so you can pause, always go back,
1: pause, re- reverse, look at the picture.
3: Reverse, <laughs>
1: reverse. You mean rewind? Rewind.
3: I, okay. So this is all first neuron. This is all the yeah. preganglionic neuron. Yep. So. Tell us about where this postganglionic neuron or the second neuron is.
1: So, the postganglionic should give it away by its name. It's always going to come after the ganglion. So, it's going to either come after the sympathetic chain or after those pre vertebral ganglions. Gotcha. So, that's where it's going to start and then it goes to its effector. So, where it's going to go and influence
3: and the various effectors include so like i said think about what organ systems or tissue gets activated in times of fear they're going to be the effectors the effector organs they elicit some change hence being called effectors so heart eyes airways uh, smooth muscle um even skeletal muscle, Glans. blood vessels, glands.
1: I think less, less to degree of skeletal muscles, but, yeah. but the blood, blood vessels blood are the vessels skeletal are muscles. muscles.
3: Sorry, that's my fault. So this is where those second neurons or the postganglionic neurons will go to. Yep. Now, because this paravertebral or, or these ganglionic chains or whatever they are, are so close to the spinal cord, the very first neuron of the two is quite short.
0: That's excellent. Yep. And,
3: <laughs> and the second neuron is quite long. So it's got a it's got a bit more of a distance to travel that second neuron before yeah. it gets to its target organ. Yeah. Yeah. And this is different to the parasympathetic, like we'll find out, where it's the opposite. Yeah, The first neuron's the longest and the second neuron's the shortest.
1: Exactly. Well done.
3: Good. Now, that, right. now should, anything else with sympathetic anatomy before we go on to the parasympathetic and then we can do the interesting stuff?
1: No, I think we should mention the parasympathetic before we um, bring in the neurotransmitters. I agree. And also before i talk about how the sympathetic nerves get up into the head yeah okay cuz that's a bit confusing okay let's okay.
3: do let's do parasympathetic anatomy so so, so pa- very simply this sorry just pause for a minute mm-hmm. would you matthew so you said the sympathetic neurons the preganglionic neurons will exit the spinal cord at the thoracolumbar yeah. region okay. what about the parasympathetic where do they exit
1: Good. yep so par itself, member means beside or next to, and so it means these are neurons that are outside the sympathetic outflow region. So they can't be thoracolumbar.
3: All right. What are they then?
1: So they're going to be cranio sacral. Yeah.
3: So head and head and butt.
1: Yeah. So basically brainstem. Okay. And sacrum. That makes m-
3: more sense than head and okay. butt. So <laughs> it comes out of the, at the cranium. So, a brainstem, brain, you said? Say brainstem. Okay, brainstem and yeah. sacrum, which is just above your bum?
1: Yeah, so after your lumbar, you've got five lumbar vertebrae. Yeah. And then you have the sacral, which is kind of a fused area of vertebra. Yeah. But they still have the same... Sacral um, outflow. Outflow. Um, but in this case, it's generally considered S2, three, 4.
3: For parasympathetic. For
1: parasympathetic. And that's called the splanchnic nerve. And that kind of goes to the bottom regions, um, literally. Um, <laughs> so, the, the latter half of your large intestines, your bladder, and your sexual organs.
3: All right. Okay. So, and the cranial part coming from the brainstem, what nerves are these?
1: Okay. So, you've got number three this yeah. is the cranial nerves. Yeah. Not all the cranial nerves because we've got 12 of them, which I think we'll do soon. Yeah. But there's 12 cranial nerve pairs. So, that means
3: nerves that come out of your head. Of your of your brain and uh, of your brain and stem. Yep. There are these paired nerves that come out. Yep. For motor oh, and sensory. Yeah. Mixed. Is right? mixed. mixed yep. Yeah. Um, but they're basically nerves that come in and out of the central nervous system.
1: Right. They're, um, they're considered peripheral nerves. Yeah. Um, and but so there's they're twelve. Located in your skull.
3: So there's twelve of them that have various functions. But you're saying that Off-well. three of these are dedicated to the parasympathetic nervous system.
1: Well, let's go through it. All right. So. Cranial nerve number three, yes, is ocular motor. Yes, there is a dimension of that that is parasympathetic. What is it? Um, what's the name of it? No,
3: it, what's the? Is it a oh, motor function, function or is it a? The, is it
1: so the, the parasympathetic function of that nerve? Yeah, uh, it's going to go to your um, the smooth muscles of your eye. Okay, and so that's going to cause your pupils to constrict.
3: Gotcha. Well, that yeah. makes sense. Opposite of
1: sympathetic. Yeah, yep. it's going to cause. Um, your lens to change shape. Oh. So I think it's called accommodation, is that right? Sounds good. So when you um, say reading close things, mm-hmm. you want to change the shape of your lens ah. but you want to change the amount of light coming in your eyes. Well. Yes. Uh, Versus so this is long distance.
3: So that's the cranial nerve 3 oculomotor. Yep. Uh, any other cranial nerves? Yeah,
1: then we jump down from 3 down to, well up to 7. Yep, so, so cranial nerve seven. Anatomically jumping down because it yep. goes to a medulla. Okay. So three's out of the brainstem. Yeah. Or should I say the midbrain? Mid yep. Now we move down to the pons medulla junction. Yep. And we have uh, facial, which is a r- about salivating and lacrimation. So that's producing tears.
3: So this nerve sort of branches. This this facial nerve branches out and goes to the parotid salivary gland. And in no, no, a that? that's
1: that's the motor portion of the facial nerve. Yeah. The actual parasympathetic is a bit more confusing, which okay. I don't think we'll go into. So it doesn't
3: stimulate the parotid for salivation. No, that's,
1: ah. that's what really can confuse people. The parotid stimulation yeah. comes from the glossopharyngeal nerve.
3: Ah, so okay. So what is it? Stim- what's the facial stimulus? You said lacrimation.
1: Yeah, so lacrimation is going up to just kind of behind your eye. Yeah, so that's tears. Tears. Yep. And then the salivation goes down to your submandibular Ah. ganglion, which then tells your sublingual and submandibular salivary glands to release it.
3: So, how many branches of the facial? Uh, Only
1: one. Oh, okay. Okay, that's... A nerve called the chordae tempranae nerve.
3: Okay, which, don't everyone forget that. Yeah. All right. So, so there are two cranial nerves that are part of the parasympathetic. Is there any more?
1: Yeah, so the glossopharyngeal, that's number nine.
3: Glossopharyngeal. Yeah, so that's... glosso uh, means tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. And pharyngeal, back pharynx, of the throat. Pharynx, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, that's mostly se- its sensory and its motor mm-hmm. influence, but the glossopharyngeal also brings some parasympathetic to help you also salivate. And that's actually going to be the um, parotid gland this, in this case.
3: Gotcha. And parotid okay. means near the ear.
1: Yep. Okay. Parotid. Okay.
3: So, uh, so saying... Okay. So, are they the only three?
1: No. Then we've got the big one. What? The big... I don't want to say boy because it's generalist. True. <laughs> the big one. Yep. Uh, which is the wanderer. The wanderer. The, or the nomad. Because
3: it's the wanderer.
1: So, the term that means wanderer is... Vagus, yeah, or the vagabond, a vagrant, right? Yeah. So vagabond or is the vagus gotcha, and that's the big nerve of the parasympathetic.
3: When you say big nerve, like it's a thick in diameter or it's long, both. Oh,
1: it's a thick nerve. So
3: it goes beyond the it goes beyond the cranium, right?
1: Yeah, and that's why it's got its name.
3: So of the twelve cranial nerves, it's the only cranial nerve that extends beyond the head and neck.
1: Definitely p- past the neck. Yeah. There are some that go into the neck.
3: So, where does it go down to?
1: Well, um, what did we say that the sacral nerve from the parasympathetic innervates?
3: You said the sacral nerve innervates the lower aspect of the GRT, so the large intestines, but also uh, bladder and uh, sexual organs. Yeah. Yep.
1: So, the vagus does everything else.
3: Well, so that
1: means it, So, basically, heart, the demarcation point of your bowel between yeah. the, s- the sacral and the vagus... Is kind of the between the transverse colon and the descending colon. So you know that little turn that yeah. goes near the spleen.
3: Do I? That turn. It's my favourite turn.
1: Is the that, that turn is the um, demarcation point between vagus and, and the sacral outflows. Like, which becomes important for say um, when you have an bowel resection from bowel cancer or something that the surgeon has to maintain that that kind of area.
3: And not damage the vagus nerve. Yes. You can have a vagotomy though.
1: They used to do vagotomies when people would have ulcers or they'd produce too much um, acid in their stomach. And so if they were to get... Reflight- yeah, that makes
3: sense, right? That makes sense because we know that if you stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, rest or digest, you'll be stimulating the vagus nerve and that, like you just said, innervates most of the gut, yep. which will stimulate the digestive org- uh, enzymes Including hydrochloric acid. Yeah. Gotcha. Right.
1: And so, back in the olden days, and it actually wasn't that long ago, mm. they would go down to the vagal, not all the vagus, because it would kill you if you cut it, Yeah. Um, but they would go down to the area, probably below the diaphragm, and snip it, um, Jeez. And, and that would de-innovate the stomach, let's say. Oh,
3: I'd love to know what other side effects that would come out of that, I mean. Probably peristaltic and you'd uh, think so.
1: indigestive problems. Yeah. Um, but now we've come up with a pharmacological treatment being the proton... Pump pump inhibitors.
3: inhibitors. yeah. Yeah. Would so, you- so, the, so the, the, again, we're still talking about the preganglionic neurons here for the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. And so you're saying that there's three cranial nerves... Four. Four cranial nerves. So, one's going to be... The, so, the first one's the oculomotor, cranial nerve three. Then you got the facial, which is cranial nerve seven. Yep. Then you've got the glossopharyngeal, which is cranial nerve... Nine. Nine. And then you've got vagus nerve, which is cranial nerve ten. Correct. And they all come out of the the, the brain stem. Yep. Um, the vagus nerve is the only one that goes beyond the neck yep. and actually goes down and it will innervate the heart and the lungs and the uh, GRT and some blood vessels and so forth, all the way down to that demarcation point to the large intestines, and that's where the sacral outflows for the parasympathetic nervous system innervate the large intestines, bowel... The descending uh, colon. uh, Descending colon. Sigmoid. Sigmoid.
1: Rectum. And then your bladder, and, bladder sexual organs. and sexual
3: organs. Okay, now these are all pre, pre, so that means they're not actually innovating these organs yet, but they're going towards that That's area. Right. Yeah. Now, like we said, for parasympathetic nervous system, the preganglionic neurons are longest, so they actually get very close to the organ they yeah, want yeah. innovate. And
1: sometimes they're in the organ.
3: Yeah, and then there's a very short second neuron, yeah, postganglionic, postganglionic. And where are they usually located? At the organ itself.
1: Well, sometimes it can be in the organ itself. Yep. Yeah. Um, on top of the organ or in a little ganglion just really close by. Gotcha. And so, if we're going to go into the cranial segments, mm. so remember we said you've got oculomotor, facial, glossopharyngeal, vagus. Yeah. They're ganglions. There's the ciliary ganglion, which is right near the eye. Okay. Yeah. There's the palatine, which is closer to, say, the um, lacrimal gland. Then you have the submandibular ganglion, which is sub below to the tongue, mandible, under the under the jaw, jaw, and then the otic that would be right yeah. near the kind of ear. Yeah. For the parotid. For the parotid. Okay.
3: All right. So does that all make sense? Makes sense. So basically, the take-home message with this is that comparing the sympathetic and parasympathetic, both have two gang uh, a two gang, um yeah. two neuron pathway. Yeah. They both have two neuron pathways. For the sympathetic, the first neuron is quite short because as soon as it comes out of the thoracolumbar portion of the spinal cord, it will jump into the this paravertebral sympathetic chain. And then from there, it can either go straight through, straight up, straight down, or synapse at that point. And then there's a second neuron, which is quite longer, quite a bit longer, and then goes to that target target organ. For the parasympathetic, It's either going to come out of the uh, brainstem, being those four cranial nerves, or it's going to come out of the sacral sacral region, which is the craniosacral, as opposed to the thoracolumbar. The first neuron's quite long, because there's no sympathetic ganglia here. There's no chain. So, it will go towards the organ that it wants to affect. This is the first neuron. Once it gets there, there's usually going to be a ganglion Mm -hmm. in which it synapses with the second neuron and that's either going to be in or very near to the organ itself and then it innervates the organ. That's right. Okay. And the, the differing effects functionally between sympathetic and parasympathetic is that sympathetic elicits some sort of activity, stress response, fight or flight, increased heart rate, blah, 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 blah. Parasympathetic think about energy conservation what does your body need to do to conserve energy yeah, Pretty good? You nailed it. I'm pretty good. Well, it's because of, you know, you're you're a great uh, great explainer of anatomy and I'm a even better explainer of physiology. So, should we talk about the neurotransmitters involved now?
1: Yeah, I think we're ready to all right. So, what are these neurotransmitters?
3: All right. So, if we take the two neuron chain for both, should we? We'll start with parasympathetic because I think it's best to start parasympathetic.
1: So, you got the preganglionic.
3: Preganglionic, postganglionic.
1: So just for one second, Mike and I were talking about this earlier. Um, there's such so many big words in here. Oh yeah. And we, or Mike and I. Forget sometimes how difficult it is to Matt, just Matt. grasp <laughs> grasp these new words yes um, so we apologize if we Sometimes speak too quick,
3: especially me. We know I speak far too quick because I so, get excited and giddy like a little schoolgirl when it comes to talking about anatomy and physiology. So oh we'll God, try just talk and talk very quickly about it.
1: We'll try and slow down as best we can. But okay. all right, so we're going to parasympathetic. Yes, we've got two neurons. Yes, preganglionic, postganglionic. Yes. So what is the first neurotransmitter between the communication? Okay.
3: So we know that neurons will talk to other neurons or neurons will talk to muscles and glands through the release of neurotransmitters which are basically chemicals that are produced in the neuron and released by the neuron to communicate to the next neuron gland or muscle right because there's a gap there's a gap so it's the neurotransmitter that crosses the gap and must bind to a receptor specific to that neurotransmitter so what we need to talk about now is firstly how does the first neuron talk to the second neuron through what neurotransmitter it releases and what receptor it binds to. Okay. Then, once that's happened and stimulated the second neuron, yep. what neurotransmitter does that second neuron release and what receptor does it bind to at the target organ, whether okay. that be the heart or the smooth muscle or whatever it may be.
1: And that's we're starting with a parasympathetic, so this starting is craniosacral. With, yes. So it's either one of the cranial nerves... Or the sacral segments. Yep, and it's
3: the very first neuron. So that's been stimulated, and it's sending an action potential down that first preganglionic neuron until it gets to the end of it. Okay. And it wants to talk to the second neuron of the parasympathetic nervous system. Yep. So the, let's
1: give an example. Okay. We'll, we'll do ocular motor. Okay. Okay, that's a third cranial nerve. Yep.
3: So the um, aim, so the ultimate aim, is for the parasympathetic system to do what to the
1: eye, or the, the the muscle it wants to activate. Is called the sphincter pupillae.
3: And it wants to tell it to constrict, basically. Yep. Okay, so a, a sympathetic signal has been sent from the central nervous system. What, what signal? A parasympathetic, yeah. thank you. A parasympathetic uh, signal is being sent out of the central nervous system down the preganglionic neuron. For, yeah, preganglionic neuron from the parasympathetic nervous system reaches the end, and it needs to talk to the second parasympathetic neuron. That's
1: really close to the actual effector. Yep, and that's, it, in, that's in the ciliary body or the ciliary ganglion, right near the eye.
3: It releases the neur- so all parasympathetic preganglionic neurons will release the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. Okay. ACh. ACh. A-C-H. Okay. Which means that Acetylcholine needs to diffuse across the synapse from the preganglionic to the postganglionic neuron yep. and bind to receptors specific to acetylcholine. Okay, there's two major types.
1: Yeah,
3: one nicotinic, two muscarinic. They're the two major types. Now the reason why they're called that is because back in the day they found out that there was an extract of mushrooms which could stimulate the muscarinic receptor. Magic H- mushrooms. Magic mushrooms. Hence it being called. Co- it's not actually magic mushrooms. Hence it being okay. called. Muscarinic. Okay. Okay. Nicotinic, stimulated by nicotine. Where's nicotine? Nicotine. I've heard that before. Smoking a few dories, Maddie. Uh, so that's Some cig- cigarettes. Cigarettes, mate. This okay. is Queensland terms. Uh, so, no. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, pre-ganglionic.
1: Don't you, don't you smoke a pipe?
3: Um, I,
1: when you do, uh, do your lectures?
3: Yes. Yes. I have a leather jacket with tweed patches on, or is it a tweed patch uh, anyway. tweed jacket with leather patches anyway, so, pre neuron of the parasympathetic nervous system will release acetylcholine, yeah. acetylcholine would diffuse across the synapse to the second neuron, yeah. and it will bind to acetylcholine specific receptor
1: yeah.
3: I said there's two options, nicotinic acetylcholine receptors or muscarinic yeah. what is the receptor that acetylcholine binds to in the parasympathetic nervous system? So the first
1: one is nicotinic nicotinic, so I think this is N2 receptors they call it.
3: Nicotinic two receptors. So that's the first part for the parasympathetic nervous system. The first neuron will release acetylcholine bind to nicotinic receptors on the postganglionic neuron. Yeah. That then stimulates the postganglionic neuron to send an action potential down to its axon towards the effector, in this case being the eye. Yeah, and right? this is a very
1: short one. Very short one. Postganglionic neuron. It
3: yeah. gets to the very end of this postganglionic neuron and again needs to release a neurotransmitter to and cross so the synapse.
1: Is, yep, so in this synapse now is not going to another neuron, it's no. going in this case that we're doing the eye to the smooth muscle
3: of the eye. Of the eye. And so the neurotransmitter released at the postgang uh, from the postganglionic neuron to the effector in the parasympathetic nervous
1: system is I Told you a lot of words.
3: Again, acetylcholine.
1: Okay. Same neurotransmitter.
3: Same neurotransmitter. But
1: in this case it's a different receptor.
3: And what was the other option?
1: The one from the mushroom muscarinic. Okay.
3: So if you were to oversimplify, you would say pre-ganglionic parasympathetic neurons release acetylcholine, and it binds to nicotinic receptors at the postganglionic neuron. Okay. Postganglionic neurons release again acetylcholine, and it will bind to muscarinic receptors at the effector. Yep. And that's it.
1: And so in this case, it's going to cause the pupils to constrict. Yes. And the lens to accommodate.
3: Perfect. Now, you could take this example anywhere in the parasympathetic nervous system and let's just use the example of the GIT. Again, same thing would happen. Acetylcholine release from the pre, bind to nicotinic at the post, the post will release acetylcholine again, bind to muscarinic at the effector and that effect would be something to do with resting and digesting, so increased release of digestive enzymes, for
1: example. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Now, with that, Mm-hmm. Um, just to add a clinical dimension to it, um, they to activate your skeletal muscles, so to move your muscles to to move your body. Yes. Um, <laughs> they also use um, ACH, acetylcholine, mm-hmm. and their receptor on the muscle, so the nerve muscle plate or the nerve muscle.
3: At the neuromuscular junction. Yeah.
1: they That's a nicotinic receptor.
3: So, so basically, you just, to confuse everybody even further, that acetylcholine isn't just used in the parasympathetic nervous system. It's a neurotransmitter that's used in other areas. And all the motor. And it's used it's for motor. all motor. Yeah. Anytime you talk, move, run, jump, swim, yeah. whatever, it's because acetylcholine Polymer. has gone from motor neurons to muscles yeah. telling it to contract. Yeah. Now the w- but this is outside the parasympathetic nervous system That's at right. the moment. We're just saying this as another mm-hmm. clinical example outside. That's right. Because you now, can give drugs now the that one go I'm against It's
1: is, is because clinically they weren't sure if these receptors were the same. So they weren't sure if the nicotinic receptors in the parasympathetic were the same as the ones on your skeletal muscles.
3: Ah, and what did they find
1: out? Well, they found that there was a blocker which is from uh, South America and they use it on the blow darts. You know, blow darts? You know the ones where they shoot monkeys out of trees? <laughs> what's oh, yeah, that, yeah, What's that drug called? Okay. Karari. Yeah, right. So you said that. For some reason, I thought it came from a frog.
3: That's another one.
1: Okay. But this one comes from a plant. Yes. Okay. So they. Alkaloid based plant,
3: which most drugs are usually alkaloid so based. So they
1: get this plant extract, rub it on the end of the dart. dart. Yeah. Okay. And they shoot it out of a uh, pipe. A pipe, and it goes, hits a monkey up the tree. <laughs> And what that does is it blocks all these nicotinic receptors, um, stopping ACH.
3: Of both parasympathetic and motor movement? Yeah, right. So That's, Whoa. Why,
1: that's why the monkey falls out of the tree.
3: So, so, there is a common receptor for both. Exactly. Gotcha.
1: So, they're like, oh, so in this case, they must be the same. Mm. There must be no difference. Yeah. However, they found more recently that you can give some blocking drugs such as hexamethonium, which is a muscle relaxant, Mm. generally, you know, these, like, saxamethonium is another one, which is kind of an induction agent going to a general anesthetic. Yeah. But they found that this is much more specific and acts more on the nicotinic receptors in the autonomic nervous system and not...
3: So, nicotinic two receptors.
1: Yes, So exactly. So, that leads us to subcategories of nicotine receptors. Gotcha. Which can be N2 yep. in autonomic, and I think N1 in motor.
3: Okay. So, as long as you can get a, 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 a receptor-specific drug, you should be able to delineate yeah. between the two systems. So,
1: my understanding now is hexamethonium blocks the autonomic nicotinic receptors mm-hmm. without the motor, motor. but um does the other way. So. Yeah that would cause a person to, and I think... Be paralysed. I, I heard Dr. Carl talking about this. I think he said his brother-in-law is an anethesis. And he said when they would train in, they would inject themselves with saxomethonium, which has a very short half-life, and see how far down the hallway they could run. <laughs> and then, essentially, it would block all your somato- uh, somatic motor, and then you'd just into a ball but, of jelly. It, but,
3: but not your autonomic so you can still breathe yeah but I think and there have is, a heart rate and survive I think
1: because it's knocking out your um, pharynx muscles
3: what a diaphragm that's yeah, skeletal muscle
1: right so they need to be intubated yeah I was gonna and, and say so, that was upper third is so the s- other skeletal muscle the other underneath um, this that are hanging around at that time and watching the person run down the hallway, they to catch have to a go and them. them. Yeah.
3: Jeez, how's that? So that's right. definitely
1: something you wouldn't, you know, tell yeah. the authorities you're doing.
3: No, that's for sure. Well, you did, but that's all right. All right, so how's that? That's pretty good. Now, just to reiterate a, a particular point is that drug-wise, clinically, again, you can have drugs that mimic the action of acetylcholine. At either nicotinic or muscarinic receptors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, they're called parasympathomimetics wow. or parasympatha or parasympathetic agonists. Yeah, I like that one more. Yeah. Can you say the other one?
1: No, I'm not even going to try.
3: Okay. Should we move on to the sympathetic?
1: And so, with that example, like nicotine is a good example of yeah. activating all those nicotine receptors.
3: Except the thing is for nicotine, it happens more centrally in the brain. And stimulates a bit of dopamine to be released in that reward pathway in the ventral tegmental dopaminergic reward pathway system.
1: Yeah, that's right. Now, mm-hmm. before we go to sympathetic, I just want to add one last clinical point, which is highly important. Mm-hmm. Now, with the, with the oculomotor nerve, which is number three.
3: You're stuck on the ocul. Yeah. ocul- it's, a gr- o- it's, a, it's, it's a great,
1: it's a great cranial nerve. Now, the majority of this nerve is skeletal muscle, which goes to move your eyeball. Right. So, it allows your eye to move up and down and, and in, okay? Up, down and in. Yeah. So, it allows you to, your eye to do a lot of things. You know when you sometimes you see the doctor ask the patient to follow their finger? Yeah. That's, you know, testing, testing that nerve. Testing okay? among some other cranial nerves. Now, the majority of this nerve is to move your eye, okay? Yeah. However, as we spoke about...
3: Through, is, through conscious volition, like, that's right. because you want to.
1: However, there is the parasympathetic as well. Which is the unconscious part. Which we spoke about, constricting the pupil. Yes. Now, when the motor portion comes out of the midbrain, Mm. it's parasympathetic, which comes off a little separate nuclei called the Edingo-Westphal nuclei. It jumps on board with the rest of the nerve. So, in fact, the oculomotor nerve, the outer region of it, is all parasympathetic. The inner region is completely motor.
3: So there's this dual innovation.
1: Yeah, but it's important to note that the outer ring of the nerve is completely parasympathetic.
3: So are they separate. So if you stimulate one, will the other invariably be stimulated as well, or are they still no, they're separate nuclei? Separate nuclei. Yeah. So now, but they're I'm bundled saying, in the same nerve.
1: Exactly, same nerve. Now, why I'm telling you this, is because as the nerve comes out of the brainstem and before it jumps into the hole to go into the eye, mm. it sits quite uh, vulnerably high in kind of above the pituitary gland. Okay. Okay? And why that's important to know is it's very vulnerable to being pushed on.
3: So, if your pituitary gland were to get a little bit too big?
1: No, it's not. The pituitary gland is too far away. Okay. But I'm just trying to give you a location. Yeah. But it's kind of like the temporal lobe sits on it. Ah. Okay? And so, if you have a space occupation lesion, Mm -hmm. such as a bleed or inflammation in your brain, as you know, the skull won't move, but the brain does. And it will push down. And the first nerve to get pushed on is the oculomotor nerve.
3: Which means pupillary yeah, exactly. dilation will and be... So the first different. thing
1: to get compressed is the parasympathetic. Only on one side too, I assume, yeah. right? Yeah, right. If you, yeah. And So how would you test it? And this is one of the first things they'll do as a person comes into ED. Pupillary light reflex. Right. So they yeah. Get, they get a light torch... Put it into their eye and see if it constricts. Gotcha. Now, if it doesn't, they then have to check the other side. Yeah. Because we have this kind of crossover. Yes. And that will tell you what the problem is. But it's really important that the ocular motor is the one that's getting tested, and predominantly it will be the parasympathetic that's been.
3: Because it's impacted. the one on the outside, so it's going to be more vulnerable. Exactly. F- to, uh, yeah. Very cool. All right. Can I move on to sympathetic? Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. That's yes. all right. That's interesting. Okay. Again, sympathetic two-neuron chain. Now, easiest now that we started with parasympathetic, the first neuron in the sympathetic two-neuron chain is identical in regards to the neurotransmitter and the receptor okay. as the parasympathetic.
1: So, let's see. The sympathetic preganglionic yes comes out from T1 to L2. Correct. It will either do one of three things. It will either synapse at that level in the... In the chain. Yeah. Number two, either go up or down in synapse. Yeah. Or number three, go straight through the chain and go to the prevertebral ganglion. Correct. Now, here, at one of those three points, it's going to synapse. You're saying that this sympathetic synapse, it could, well, it does release acetylcholine. Correct. And then the postganglionic carries on the signal to the effector. Wait,
3: what receptor did it bind right.
1: to? I'm just about to say that. <laughs> Its receptor that picks up that ACH is also nicotinic, which is also N2. Correct. Okay.
3: Correct, absolutely. So, both sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, preganglionic neurons both release acetylcholine, both bind to nicotinic receptors at the postganglionic neuron. The difference is the postganglionic neuron for the sympathetic nervous system as it fires off its action potential and gets to the very end of that neuron at its target organ or the effector, the neurotransmitter it releases, again, it's talking about the fight or flight system, stress, fear, it releases adrenaline or noradrenaline, we should say. Or if you're American, epinephrine or norepinephrine, is that a good American accent? Or does it sound more like Grant? It
1: sounds more Canadian. That's pretty
3: good. So epinephrine and adrenaline synonymous, norepinephrine, noradrenaline synonymous. We're going to say adrenaline and noradrenaline because we're Australian.
1: Or following the British.
3: Or following the British. Now, that's the neurotransmitter released by the postganglionic neuron at the effector. So again, whether it be the heart or the airways or the smooth muscle or the blood vessel, whatever it may be, it needs to bind to a receptor specifically for this noradrenaline. Yep. There's different types of receptors. They're all called adrenergic receptors because they bond to adrenaline. Adrenergic. You've got alpha 1, alpha 2, beta 1, beta 2, beta 3. Mm. Beta 3, located in fat. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Let's chuck it out. <laughs> poor it, fat. Poor fat. Don't... F- just forget about it. But we've got alpha 1, alpha 2, beta 1, beta 2, and they're all located at different organs yep. and effectors depending on what needs to happen. Yeah. Should we break down what... Where they're located? I think we yeah, have to. Should we do it now, though, is the question?
1: Um, well, can we compare and contrast both? So, when we go through the effectors, can we compare and contrast yes. the parasympathetic Do you first
3: want to tell the listeners about the difference between noradrenaline and adrenaline when it comes to the sympathetic nervous system innovation?
1: Okay. Well, th- there's one small exception in the sympathetic nervous system. And that's the adrenal medulla. So, this is the adrenal glands. Where does that sit? That sits on the kidney. And the reason why they call it the adrenal, because it's adrenal. On. Okay. On renal. Yep. Or and that's where you get adrenaline from. Okay. Okay. But that would be uh, probably Latin, whereas um, nephros is Greek for kidney. And so, epi is upon. And that's where you get epinephros or epinephrine.
3: Gotcha. Okay. I So, it's same. just about... Okay. It's just different. So, the difference... So really, tw- technically,
1: it's one's Latin and one's Greek.
3: So, the difference between noradrenaline and adrenaline, basically, is its location of production and release. Noradrenaline is the neurotransmitter produced and released by the neuron, and adrenaline is produced and released by the adrenal gland. But they both have the same effect.
1: Yeah, I think... I think clinically adrenaline is more powerful than noradrenaline, but I don't know much more than that.
3: Okay. But, so you're saying the pre, one preganglionic neuron of the sympathetic nervous system will directly innervate the adrenal gland.
1: Yeah. So you got one neuron in the thracolumbar region that doesn't kind of do any of these synapses and goes all the way to the top of the kidney. Okay. And then synapses actually in the adrenal gland. Gotcha.
3: Okay. And the adrenal gland acts as a second neuron.
1: Yeah. Or well, not the whole adrenal gland, just the, the mi- middle part or the medulla of the adrenal gland. Gotcha. Which that whole cluster of the medulla is actually the postganglionic neurons.
3: Ah, oh, okay. All of that. And so, it releases adrenaline and then that adrenaline is released into the bloodstream yeah, and will diffuse the, throughout the whole body. Right. And act as though it's innovating or act as though it's stimulating every effector for the sympathetic nervous system. So that's why if you stimulate the adrenal gland, specifically the medullary aspect, and release adrenaline, you'll get this global adrenergic response.
1: But listening to a number of physiologists, they've stated that it's quite difficult to get that adrenal response. You need to have a very exaggerated sympathetic drive. It's not just, you know, someone's jumped behind a bush and scared you. You probably need to be driving it for, you know, I don't know, minutes at a real life-threatening situation. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, they're the different... Uh, any- uh, well, just with both noradrenaline and adrenaline. Oh, yeah. It's derived from an amino acid called tyrosine. Before it moves into one of other it becomes a precursor. You can
3: also make... I'm going to interrupt you. You can make tyrosine from something else called phenylalanine, which is a a dietary, obviously, another amino acid that you can get. Um, So, you make tyrosine from phenylalanine, and we do not make phenylalanine within our body. We have to get it from our diet. But there's people who have issues with metabolizing phenylalanine, and that's what PKA is, right? Yeah, I've heard that. It's also in chewing gum, right? That's right. Um, So...
1: So, from tyrosine. Tyrosine
3: will come from your diet.
1: Before you can get it into noradrenaline, it actually then is made into dopamine.
3: It's made into, well, before it's made into dopamine, it's made into L-dopamine. Okay. So, basically, what happens is tyrosine, will be taken from our diet it will be taken into the cell and from the cell it turns into something called dopa or l-dopa and this is through an enzyme called tyrosine hydroxylase then l-dopa will then turn into dopamine and this dopamine happens through this um, uh, dopa decarboxylase enzyme and then dopamine then turns into noradrenaline
1: okay and then to get into adrenaline it needs to be demethylated or something
3: uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, it needs uh, what's called a methyltransferase and, and it takes a methyl group and, psh, and moves so it somewhere else. I read
1: else. today before this mm. that the reason the adrenal gland can make adrenaline is to do that step you you spoke about. It needs cortisol and cortisol comes from the adrenal cortex. So
3: you're saying in order for noradrenaline to turn into adrenaline yeah. and, and we know that the adrenal gland makes adrenaline, yep. it needs to take noradrenaline and make it through the use of cortisol. Yeah, Is that the rate-limiting step for its production? Interesting. And so
1: some people who get tumors of their adrenal gland can then get either a a huge amount of release of adrenaline, or one of these two, catecholamines. Mm. But I think because the um, tumor also affects the um, cortex, changes the cortisol production. Therefore, the tumor produces a lot more noradrenaline rather than adrenaline. Okay, cool. But that would obviously cause a person to have a heightened stimulus response. So they're probably going to be have palpit- palpitations, sweating, yes. um, blood vision, uh, GIT upsets, just can't sleep.
3: So, when we make... So, what we're saying is tyrosine and amino acid from the diet is um, taken, made into noradrenaline, which is a neurotransmitter. Yep. It will then be... When it's made into noradrenaline, has to go through dopamine first. So, dopamine yeah. needs to be made first, yeah. which is interesting when we talk about neurotransmitters in the future. Um, and that when it's noradrenaline released from the neuron, right? From the post neuron, it's yeah. released to the effector and binds. What happens to that noradrenaline that's been released? Well, it needs to be reuptaken back into the post neuron, right? Okay, so remade. And so, we've got what's called reuptake Proteins yeah. or transporters and they reuptake it back in. Cocaine in inhi- the drug <laughs> as opposed to, I don't know what else. Cocaine oh, my dog's name. inhibits because <laughs> it's hyperactive inhibits that reuptake one mechanism okay. and stops noradrenaline from being taken back up into the system and uh, dopamine as well because they're both catecholamines. Yeah. So they both have these similar activities in right. regards to uh, how they're, uh, biotransformed or recycled or retaken back into the cell. So, cocaine cocaine stops the reuptake one mechanism, which means there's more neuroadrenaline in the synapse, more sympathetic activity, and that's why they get this amped up.
1: Okay, so they get a lot of energy.
3: That's right. Now Big pupils. That's right. Now, once that, let's just say the reuptake activity has happened and neuroadrenaline is taken back into the neuron, it gets recycled and broken up by something called monoamine oxidase. So, you can have monoamine oxidase inhibitors, mm. and again, they result in more neuroadrenaline uh, being yeah. uh, produced no, that and was available. used
1: as an antidepressant, right? Yep. But not so much anymore. That's right. And uh, you can have uh, uh,
3: specific monoamine oxidase inhibitors. So, monoamine oxidase inhibitor um, one. Uh, one, or, uh, you know, it's compared depending on whether it's for serotonin yeah, yeah, or whether yeah. it's for um, adrenaline. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Okay. No. Um Now, you've also got, if the neuroadrenaline's been taken up by the cell of the effector or even another neuron, for example, it can be broken up by that membrane or that, that cell, and that's called catecholomethyltransferase. Yeah. And that, again, will break it down and recycle it. Okay. Now, amphetamines, mm. right? What right. amphetamines or methamphetamines do...
1: Just like speed or ice? Y-
3: yep. That's right. What they do is they increase the release of adrenaline from the postsynaptic neuron and they inhibit monoamine oxidase. The breakdown. The breakdown. And they inhibit methyltransferase In the post
0: That's right. Wow. And
3: to a degree, they inhibit reuptake. Yeah. So basically, more uh, neuroadrenaline available, less of it being uh, recycled. So and just also heaps dopamine, of which gives the, and the does it to a reward too.
1: response, which is addictive. Correct. So, yeah. bo-
3: it does it for both adrenaline and dopamine. Yeah, right.
1: Make sense? Yep. All right. Anything else? Well, I just think we have to just say pharmacologically.
3: Oh, um, yeah. We need to talk about the different types the, of receptors. The
1: receptors. So, you can, in terms of these receptors that we spoke about, either being alpha-1, alpha-2, beta-1, beta-2. For the uh, you adrenergic can, system. You can actually either agonize it or block it.
3: So, let's f- just first say that... Even Okay, so this is where people get tripped up. If you release noradrenaline and it binds to a particular adrenergic receptor, whether it be alpha-1, alpha-2, beta-1, beta-2, it's going to have a specific effect. Now, it will either activate the effector or it will inhibit the effector. That That's an important point. So don't always think that adrenaline is going to activate, 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 activate. It's going to do whatever it needs to do to maintain homeostasis in times of stress. So for example... When it gets to the heart, it activates the heart to contract harder and faster. Hmm. Yet, when it gets to the airways, it tells it to relax because relaxing the, the smooth muscle of the airways allows more air to come in and more oxygen will be available. So, don't always think about it just constricting everything and tightening everything up, okay? Yeah. So, in that case, it means that the receptor it binds to at the heart activates the heart and the receptor it binds to at the airways inhibits yep. the airways. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. So, for example, the alpha-1, this is an easy way to remember. Alpha-1 and beta-1 are stimu- uh, uh, stimulatory. They activate. Alpha-1, beta-1, wherever they're located, they activate and stimulate. Okay. And you can find alpha-1 receptors pretty much everywhere. All smooth muscle, all glands, all organs. Right? Beta-1, you'll only find at the heart. B1, only one heart, that's how you remember that, and at the juxtaglomerular cells. To the kidney. To kidneys, to release renin, increase yep. blood pressure. Alpha-2 and beta-2, they're inhibitory adrenergic receptors. And you'll find alpha-2 at presynaptic neurons and that it inhibits the release of noradrenaline, which is strange because you can release noradrenaline, it will bind to alpha-2 receptors to release to inhibit the release of more adrenaline. Oh, okay. Make sense? Yeah, does. They're also located at pancreatic beta cells.
1: So, to release uh, insulin.
3: To stop the release of insulin. But you don't want to do that. Exactly. You want more sure. uh, glucose available for the cells. And we know that insulin locks glucose away in yeah. cells. That's alpha-2. Beta-2, again, alpha-2, beta-2, they're inhibitory. Beta-2 is located on, again, all smooth muscle glands and organs for inhibition. Specifically... B2, we have two lungs, so think of the airways, it inhibits the airways and tells them to relax, the smooth muscle contraction. Yep. Does that make sense? It does. So, alpha 1, beta 1 activates, alpha 2, beta 2 inhibits, alpha 1, all smooth muscle organs and glands, beta 2, all smooth muscle organs and glands, beta 1, juxtaglomerular cells and hearts, and alpha 2, presynaptic neurons for the sympathetic nervous system and pancreatic beta cells. Ooh. Good, huh? It's confusing as all <laughs> hell, isn't it? It's taken me many you, years to understand Yeah, you've got to do
1: it. go over it a few times. Yeah, I think I so. I really appreciate it. But it drives so much pharmacology. Oh, yeah. And so, if you really can nail this, then it makes your study of pharmacology so much easier. Oh,
3: if you can give an example of numerous drugs for each alpha-1, beta-1, alpha-2, beta-2, and their, and their role, like you can think of the lols, right? Yeah. So, you think of the, like a tenolol. A tenolol is going to be beta-2 specific. Hopefully, and what it does is it, yeah, alpha, uh, sorry, beta one specific for the <laughs> for the heart. It's a lull, so it will calm the heart down because it's going to. Like a beta blocker. It's a beta blocker. Blocks the beta. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. When you give a patient a beta blocker, it's blocking the beta. You can have non-specific beta yeah, blockers, right. which means it blocks beta one and beta two. So, what does that mean? Blocks beta one, slowing down the heart because beta 1 activates heart it blocks beta 2 which is inhibiting an inhibitor so you get smooth muscle constriction yeah. which is why sometimes in the non-specific beta blockers you don't want to give it to an asthmatic because it can stimulate an asthma attack right but or the... v-
1: or vice versa you don't want to give say salbutamol which is ventolin yes which is designed to Act on the lungs. Which is a beta Beta 2 specific. Uh, Yeah, but it can also act on the heart, which you don't want to give to a person say, with heart failure. True. Because then they might have palpitations and speed up their heart and go into a problem. Yeah,
3: if if you know someone or you are someone with a puffer, if you've ever sucked on that puffer maybe a little bit too much and your heart started to beat a little bit too fast, that's because of the non-specific beta effects that it has.
1: Or you get a bit shaky.
3: Yes, that's right.
1: So that's important um, with your pharmacology, because then if you know the receptors, then you can pretty easily come up with the side effects. That's right. And so it's really important, I think, in all AMP. This is one thing that it would be great to really have a good understanding on, because it will make your clinical practice so much easier. I think. Oh,
3: absolutely. All good, Maddie.
1: So we better jump to uh, parasympathetic quickly. We haven't got much time. Yeah. So, parasympathetic, um, you said that the two neurons, pre and post, the communication between the two is going to be uh, ACH, and it's acted on the nicotinic receptor. And then you said, at the postganglionic onto the effector, it's going to be muscarinic. Now, do the muscarinics... And it's still acetylcholine. Do the muscarinics have subgroups as well?
3: I would say definitely.
1: Okay. They've got three as, as well. So, they've got... Or shouldn't say as well. The other one has four. <laughs> That's actually five. So, <laughs> M1, M2, M3. Yeah? Yeah. So, again, we're, we're looking at the opposite effect. Well, not always the opposite effect, but sometimes they are synergenic, but yeah. also they sometimes opposed. So, if you think about the heart, mm-hmm. in this case, mm-hmm. the... Um, the muscarinic... Michael's taking a photo. I'm not sure why. I
3: have to take a photo for
1: upload. Okay. Um, so, the muscarinic effect of the heart is an M2 receptor. So, if you give the muscarinic 2 receptor, agonist. ACH, um, or a similar agonist, yeah. it will do what to the heart?
3: Uh, it will slow it down.
1: Yeah. So, it's going to cause bradycardia. Okay. Okay. Whereas if you antagonize that, so you give a drug that blocks that.
3: Blocks muscarinic.
1: It will cause uh, heart to speed up.
3: Because it just means symp- uh, parasympathetic's blocked, and it just allows the sympathetic has free reign now. Yeah. You can do whatever it wants, and yeah. what it wants to do is increase heart rate.
1: Yep. Good. Yeah. So, um, is there any other, and same with the bronchial constriction, you want to, um, if you want to bronchoconstrict... Which I'm not sure why you would want to do that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I've, I don't know. You hate your patient?
1: <laughs> so, in this case, you'd probably give a muscarinic um, antagonist Yes. for um, respiratory conditions. Yeah. So, going back to drugs of the respiratory system, the muscarinic antagonist is... Petrovian? No, that's a corticosteroid.
3: Mm, you put yourself on the spot there. I mate, have. And I'm not even going to bother entering into that.
1: Because <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, we'll quickly Google that and move on. Um, are there any other real big ones that you want to mention?
3: For muscarinic, no. No, because you can have some general muscarinic antagonist, general muscarinic agonist, atropine, right?
1: Yeah, atropine, so that's a blocker, right? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to chuck Michael into the deep end here. Yeah. Recently, Michael... Yes. ...went on a boat trip. Oh, yeah. Tell, tell us about that boat trip.
3: Uh I went on a Bucks uh, weekend, and we were to go fishing out uh in Moreton Bay in Queensland, and we took a boat out, and after 10 minutes, I was sick as a dog, and I remained sick and vomiting for five hours.
1: Okay. Now, the reason why that is is because his brain or part of his brain has been bombarded by... He's weak. By, <laughs> <laughs> he's been bombarded by strange sensory input. Yeah, Because tell me the about boat's it. moving in all sorts of directions. No one else is sick though, of course. So, his proprioception, his visual, his vestibular, so his middle ear is being all out of whack. Yeah. His brain gets confused and makes Stop talking sick. about it. It's going to make me sick. Think about so, it. So, um, Michael, uh, he could have taken a muscarinic. What do you reckon?
3: antagonist? A antagonist.
1: So, a good one is a hyacine, which is kind of like a, a slight derivative to atropine. Okay. And that is a muscarinic antagonist. So, think about what would it do?
3: Well, what would it do?
1: Well, well you're going to depress the GIT. So, uh, that would help with getting rid of your nausea and vomiting.
3: You know what I took instead? I took a dopamine antagonist, right. um, which is an antipsychotic... And it and it just knocked me out. I was just unconscious on the boat for five hours, waking up uh, intermittently to, to vomit. Right. So, I made the wrong choice about the the med I took. I should probably know better.
1: So, <laughs> so thinking about if you gave Michael an, a muscarinic antagonist, yes. what some of the side effects you could get if you're blocking his parasympathetic?
3: What do you reckon? Well, I could... Uh, de- mm, would no. I, I don't know. What do you reckon? Well, I you could can, get... Um, if, you're if you're blocking it, I'll get dry mouth, I'd say.
1: Yeah, so you're not going to be salivating anymore. Yeah. So you get dry mouth, very good. Dry right. eyes too. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. So you're going to get... Um, your pupils would go... Ah, uh, they'll constrict. No, cons- cons- constriction is parasympathetic. Remember? Yes.
3: Oh, so we're blocking it. Yes, yeah, so I'll get this huge dilatory yeah, effect. So you get,
1: and then so you get kind of blurry vision.
3: Yes, okay. bloody.
1: <laughs> <Blurdy>. And <laughs> uh, what about your heart?
3: Uh, uh It goes too fast.
1: Yeah, so you get tachycardia. Yeah. And the other one is um, voiding. <laughs> voiding what? Urinating. Oh, not no. Not voiding, voiding. So, uh, urinating, yes. yeah. you um, don't have that drive anymore. So, you're, you might have some urinary ret- retention. Yeah. But hopefully, it gets rid of your nausea and vomiting for that period.
3: And just to finish off, let's just say that if you want to know when it comes to the reproductive male reproductive system... What? It's, du-
1: it's duly innovation,
3: Dual innovation for erection and ejaculation, right. right? And so the parasympathetic controls one of the two and the sympathetic controls the other one. How do you remember this, Matty?
1: Well, I was told this by my medical students, um, but I'll let you say because I, I know you don't All have right. to tell everyone. D-
3: <laughs> no, don't make me sound too excited about it. Point and shoot, right? So point will be the erection. Shoot will be the ejaculation. Point starts with P. Parasympathetic nervous system controls erection. Yeah. Pointing. Shoot starts with S. Sympathetic nervous system that controls ejaculation. Bada bing, bada boom. Thank yeah. you, mother, for the rabbits.
1: Yeah. And I think also it's um, because that's the sacral segment, your bladder's also got the same dual innovation. So, sympathetic... Is you don't really want to be, um, urinating or doing that kind of stuff when you're, um, trying to survive. No. So the, generally speaking, the sympathetic, um, influence to your, um, bladder is to constrict off the output mm. and to relax the muscle itself. Ah. And the parasympathetic exact opposite, it's to contract the bladder muscle to try and push the urine out and release the urine. The urine or the sphincters. Yeah. Now, going back to when we started it all. And that's not only the the urine, but it's also the colon or the rectum, anus. Yeah. Okay. So, for some reason, for some reason, when you have the initiating drive of your sympathetic, so fight and flight, there is a transient parasympathetic drive that causes you to release the bowels. Now, why that occurs, I've had a couple of theories. One, it could lighten the load, but I can't really see how you would lighten so, it
3: that much. So, Dr. Carl says it's to lighten the load. It's, it's. He says t- for two reasons, right? He says you lighten the load, so you are lighter to run away, and you're leaving w- something behind for, for the animal to sniff at. And, or and, to fall over. and to fall over, or whatever, or s- slip and slide in the mud, so, maybe that's, so um, to speak.
1: So, maybe that's kind of the same driver's... So I don't think that's the, the case. Squid. I, I, the squid. I, mm,
3: yeah, I, th- I don't reckon that's the case. You don't know reckon it is? What?
1: I reckon it's been conserved as an advantage because if you crap yourself mm. and you're being chased by a predator, mm. you probably stink. Yes, and so they to eat you. They want to eat you. Yeah, that's my guess. But I
3: can't see how. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I suppose you're right. Let's leave it there. Can Let's I, leave can it. Can I
1: add one last thing? Yeah. That, just while we're in animals, is that okay? Yeah. Um, go back up to the facial nerve. The facial nerve it does both lacrimation. And salivation.
3: So, tears and, and salivation. Yeah. But, but <laughs> so, tears and, and drool. Saliva. Yeah.
1: For um, mammals, no, actually higher. For primates, I'm not sure where it crosses over, but we have, we've separated those two nerves. So, we have a separate lacrimation to salivation. Yeah. But say um, reptiles, say crocodiles, when they eat, they will cry. And, that, and that's where the term crocodile tears comes from.
3: Ah, because so it's it's uh, same nerve, same nerve. Oh, that's very cool. I and, like f- it's and, better finishing on that than so when, my
1: pants. And so sometimes when humans get something like Bell palsy or something, where it's just a facial nerve palsy, yeah, that can mix up, and sometimes the person will start to eat yeah. and they'll cry.
3: Ah, yeah. And you call that Bell's palsy tears. <laughs>
1: Oh, oh, crocodile tears, correct. which Michael does when I when I left. He cried, but it was really...
3: Everyone, thank you for listening. If you want to uh, contact us, you can contact us on social media. We're on Twitter, GU Biosciences. We're on Instagram. If you want to view some of our photos, again, GU Biosciences. We're on Facebook, Doc- Dr. Matt and Dr. Mark's Medical Podcast. You can send us an email, GU Biosciences at gmail.com. We do have a website, biological org, where got lot, we've got uh, the podcast. We've got a number of YouTube clips that you can view, help- you with your studies. We've actually got over a hundred anatomy, and physiology, pathophysiology, and pharmacology based clips that you can view. We lecture at universities. These are actually the videos we use for our students. So they will help you in your course if you're an undergraduate anatomy mm. physiology student. We love you all and have a wonderful and I think time.
1: We're going to do cranial work nerves next podcast, maybe? Yeah. Uh, if, <laughs> if you have something that you want us to cover, like a clinical aspect, or a Nerve in more detail, please contact us in this week.
3: That's if you've got the Nerve. Bye.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus,